Well, good morning. Thanks. Thanks, Stephen. It's uh, great to be out with y'all this morning again, just striving for the gospel, striving for God, studying what he's done for us together. And a very good morning to all of our visitors. It's really great to have you with us, and I hope you get the chance to stick around for a few seconds so we get the chance to meet you all. As you may know, and I think as it was announced earlier in the service, Today is our fifth Sunday service, and, um, which is a service where we take extra time to look, take a deeper look into all things related to our communion, to our Lord's Supper, where we take the time to focus on Jesus' sacrifice and to remember Him. And we do that not as a simple gimmick or a way to just shake up service, but so that we can more effectively and more purposefully observe our Lord's Supper on this Sunday and on every Sunday. So we can remember why we come together, so that we can remember what our Lord has done for us and what our whole lives as Christians point to that sacrifice, and that resurrection. But this morning, as we focus on Jesus, I actually want to take some time in this lesson to look at one of those characters in the gospel that maybe we don't think about as much. Today we're going to read the story of Malchus, servant of the high priest. Because Malchus is a character that when I read his story, I don't think I ever thought until very recently why that story is included in the first place. Because it's in all four Gospels, and there's a lot of important things in the Gospels, but not a lot of things that made it into all four Gospels. And so when I read this story... And I see it come up over and over again. I have to ask myself, why is it important that I know this? Why is it important that I think about this story? Because it's a pretty odd story. I think a lot of times when we read the story of Malchus, we kind of default to focusing on what Peter did. And that's for good reason. There's lots of lessons to be learned from Peter's rash actions and how ironic it is giving what he'll do in the near future. But we're not going to focus on Peter today because I think when we do that, we often neglect Malchus, the sort of main character in this story. So we're going to focus on him some today. And we're going to do that because I think, as we'll see, Malchus' story mirrors a lot of our own story as Christians. It mirrors the very reasons that we partake of this Lord's Supper. And so I think as we go through this story, we will learn a lot about ourselves and about our walk with our God. And of course, about the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. So when we find the story of Malchus... It comes right at the end of Jesus' time as a mortal man on earth. At this point, Jesus has already fulfilled much of what we consider his earthly ministry. 
Judas has already set out to betray him to the Jewish leaders. The Last Supper has already happened. And Jesus looks at Judas and tells him, what you're about to do, go and do quickly. And then Jesus and the disciples depart for Gethsemane and the Mount of Olives. And just like we sang this morning, Jesus prays there for himself and for the disciples, asking Father, if you're willing, take this cup away from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And then he prays for the disciples and for all believers. And after he wakes his disciples up, a crowd comes to get him. And this crowd is made up of a band of Roman officers and men sent by the Jewish leaders. And of course, Judas himself. These men came to arrest Jesus and ultimately to send him to his death. And that's where we find the story of Malchus. That in this dark night, in this chaos, in this extremely tense and important moment, where all of Jesus' disciples had to choose between fighting for their Messiah or fleeing from him, where their God was facing arrest. Within 24 hours, Jesus would be crucified. And yet, for one brief moment, a man from the otherwise unnamed crowd takes center stage. And like we said earlier, the story of Malchus is found in all four Gospels. But for now, I would like to stick to the Gospel of John. So if you would, if you want to turn with me, we're going to be reading from John 18. John 18, and we'll read the first 12 verses. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And then Jesus said to them, I am... Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And when Jesus said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you gave me. I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the father has given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. So... As Judas came up to Jesus to identify him, and the officials, this ragtag army, gathered to capture Jesus, 
in the darkness and confusion and some chaos, fighting started. And we know that eventually all the disciples fled and abandoned Jesus. But before that, in the Gospel of Luke, some of the disciples ask him, Lord, should we use our swords? To which Jesus gives no recorded answer. But Malchus was a part of that crowd that was coming to arrest Jesus. And in the chaos that ensued, Peter cut off his ear. And then we never really see much about Malchus again. There's a small mention of him later in the same chapter, John 18, but it's sort of just kind of one reference, and that's it. And so maybe we don't think about Malchus, especially because of the importance of the events that surround his story. We focus on the institution of the Lord's Supper, the arrest, the the denial and the trial, and of course, the crucifixion and resurrection. These are some of the tenets of our faith. And so if you're anything like me, I sometimes forget that this little story is kind of in and amongst all of the rest of that. But I want to take some time to lay out the similarities between our own story and the story of Malchus. First, we have to acknowledge that Malchus was an enemy of Jesus. As we read earlier at the beginning of service in uh, Matthew 26, verse 51, it says that Malchus was the servant or the slave or bondservant, depending on your translation, of the high priest. That Malchus served the very one who wanted to do away with Jesus and his kingdom. That Malchus served the enemy of Jesus. Now, we don't know how Malchus got in that situation, whether it was willingly or forcibly. We don't know how he felt about the priest or what he felt about Jesus, for that matter. But what we do know is that by his very presence, by doing the high priest's bidding, Malchus sought to arrest and destroy Jesus. Malchus was on the wrong side. For all intents and purposes, he was the bad guy. But I don't think that we're as different from Malchus as sometimes we like to think. I think sometimes we like to have the idea, you know, it's kind of like what the Pharisees always said. Well, if we were there during the time of the prophets, we wouldn't have killed them. And how easy is it for me to say, if I was there in the garden, Jesus... I wouldn't have tried to arrest you. I wouldn't have sought to kill you. I would have been different. But of course, we know that we're not as different as maybe we like to think. John 8.34, Jesus tells us, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin, everyone who practices sin, I won't have you raise your hand, but I have an idea that if I asked everyone who's ever practiced sin to raise their hand, that a high percentage of this audience is going to raise their hand today. And Jesus says, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Jesus says that we 
like Malchus, were slaves of the enemy of Jesus. That we, by our serving of sin, rebelled against and hated Jesus and everything he stood for. We kicked against Jesus' purpose and plan when we live in sin. That's a position that maybe we don't identify ourselves with a lot. Because after all, we weren't literally in the crowd. We didn't arrest Jesus. And yet we know that we contributed to his suffering. 1 Corinthians 15.3 reminds us that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. And maybe sometimes it's, it's harder for us to grasp our role in Jesus' sacrifice. Or maybe I should say it's not hard for us to grasp our role as much as we just don't want to. We don't want to think about how we contributed to Jesus' suffering. But if you want to turn to James chapter 4 with me. James chapter 4 says it in no uncertain terms. We'll just read verses 1 through 5. James chapter 4 verses 1 through 5. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? Because you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And we'll stop there for now. We, like Malchus, positioned ourselves as the enemy of Jesus through our relationship with the world, through our passions, through our desires, through our slavery to sin. We became enemies of God, we became enemies of His plan, of His purpose. By seeking sin and serving it as its slave. We became the aggressors to Jesus. We became the ones in the crowd seeking to destroy him. As enemies of God. But that's not it. That's not the only way that we are like Malchus. Because like Malchus, we were destined to die. I got a few funny looks there. So I guess maybe I should answer the question. Yeah, say, well, Gavin, the guy just lost his ear. How is he destined to die? But I want to think about this for a few seconds because I think it's important. Because you can, you can survive without an ear, right? But do you think that Peter meant to cut off his ear? Do you think that was, that was the plan? Do you think that Peter, the untrained swordsman, the fisherman, in the darkness and confusion and kind of adrenaline for the moment, do you think that Peter very carefully aimed for the side of Malchus' head just so he could cut off the ear and do nothing else? I mean, if you think so, you're entitled to your opinion. I can't prove it. But I'm going to say that if Peter was swinging and happened to clip Malchus' ear, what's he going for? 
He's going for the death blow. He's going to kill Malchus. I think Malchus was slated to die that night. And when we think about sin, sin is death. Sin is gross. When we talk about, in Micah chapter 1 verse 9, if you want to look at that with me. In Micah chapter 1 verse 9, the prophet there is talking about the sin of the people of Israel. And this is what he says. For Samaria's disease, Samaria's disease is incurable. And it has infected Judah. And it has spread to the leadership of my people and even to Jerusalem. Sin changes us from the good creation of God to something covered in gross, festering, nasty wounds. Jeremiah 30 says that sin causes an incurable infection. And it is an infection. Sin is ugly and awful and brings this sort of nastiness about it. Of course, we know that Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin, the payoff, the result of sin, which it says in the, earlier in the chapter, that we have all committed. The wages of that sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That whenever we sinned for the first time, whenever that was, we slated ourselves for the punishment of death. We earned the payment of death with our sin. Because we have corrupted God's good creation with a festering infection with incurable disease. And for that, we had to die. It's a horrible condition. And that's where we all were, with absolutely no hope on our own. And in some ways, that's the very condition that Malchus found himself in. Even though Malchus did not die, he was given a sort of permanent incurable, terrible wound. But luckily for Malchus, that wasn't the end of the story. Because you can say, even by then current medical standards, Malchus was hopeless. He, and after all, he was still a slave to the bad guys, and that ear was not growing back on its own. It's an incurable wound. But yet... Jesus chose to heal him. If you want to turn with me to one of the parallel passages, we're going to look at Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. And we'll read verses 50 and 51. Picking up sort of in the middle of the story, it says... And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. 
But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. And then Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple and the elders who had come out against him, have you come out against me as a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. And then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And this is sort of the main thrust of the story. That while Malchus was there for the purpose of arresting Jesus, to silence his ministry, to end his kingdom, while Malchus was a slave of the bad guys, while Malchus was an enemy of God, Jesus healed him. That Jesus healed the one who he knew would directly bring the end of his mortal life. So I don't know about you guys. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. But if I was Jesus, knowing what I'm about to go through, and Jesus clearly does know what he's about to go through, that suffering and humiliation and disrespect and that painful and horrible death, if I see Peter going after Malchus, I'm not stopping him. Malchus deserved whatever he was going to get. And my first thought is certainly not that I'm going to heal this man. But I am so glad that we serve a Lord who did. And a Lord who does. A Lord who is willing to heal Malchus, an unworthy man. Because can you imagine that scene where in the midst of this darkness and chaos and violence, can you imagine that these men who came to arrest Jesus and ultimately kill Jesus, whether they knew that or not, for crimes that he never committed, watched in awe. As Jesus came forward from the chaos and silenced it, even just for a moment, to show his authority and his control in the situation. To show that he is the I am that struck such fear and awe into those wishing to harm him. And to show his mercy by healing his enemy, to fix his incurable wound with a miracle. And then not to run away after, not to say, well, I healed him, so we're obviously, we're on good terms, right? But to submit himself to being arrested, lied about, put on trial, beaten, humiliated, and killed. Can you imagine the image that that would leave in the minds of the men that were in the crowd that night? The crowd who arrested Jesus. Can you imagine the memory for Malchus himself of that last calm moment where Jesus performs his last miracle before his death and heals his enemy? 
you see how powerful that is? How fitting it is that in the last miracle that we see Jesus perform as a mortal man, that that miracle was to look at his enemy and to show mercy to him and to spare him and then to make him whole again. Even though he deserved the wound. He deserved the death. One last sign to show Jesus power and willingness to forgive. And I think that you know where we're going with this. But like Malchus, we brought ourselves into a terrible situation. We brought ourselves into slavery with sin. But this isn't the end of the story for us either. Because even though we had a wound that for all intents and purposes was incurable, even though we had ruined God's good creation, even though we were evil enemies of our creator, slaves of sin, in that hopeless condition, Jesus chose to heal us. If you want to, you can turn with me to Mark chapter 2. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus opens the chapter by preaching the word to a packed crowd. And four guys have a friend who's paralyzed, confined to his bed. And these men have heard rumors that Jesus can heal. And they believe it. But they can't get their friend and the bed through the crowd to see Jesus. So they go up onto the roof, they dig a hole in the roof, and they lower their friend through the ceiling. And when Jesus sees the faith of these men, Jesus chooses to heal the paralytic, but maybe not in the way they thought he was going to. Because chapter 2, verse 5 says that Jesus looks at the paralytic and says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Which is not what the friends came for. It's not what the intention was. And some of the religious officials, they were furious at this. They said to themselves that Jesus had no power to forgive sins. Who does he think he is? And Jesus turns to them and said, why do you question these things in your hearts? Is which is easier to say to the paralytic? Which is it easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then he turned to the paralyzed man. And he said to him, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And then he did. The man was physically healed. And though Jesus told everyone the purpose of the miracle, that the physical healing was in part to show that Jesus had the power to forgive sins, that he had the power to spiritually heal. The Jewish leaders didn't get it. Some of the crowd got it, and it says they glorified God for it, but many did not get it. 
And so when Jesus later goes to preach to tax collectors and to those that the Jews considered sinners, the worst of the worst, they go at him for having the gall to be around such bad, nasty people. And how Jesus responds in verse 17 is amazing to me. We read it all the time. You've heard this your whole life. But I want you to pretend that you've never heard it before and just let these words into your ears. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came to call, not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus came to earth to heal sinners. Jesus came to earth to heal those who were enemies of God. Jesus came to earth to suffer and die and leave a perfect example for those who rejected him. For those who sent him to that death. For people like Malchus. And for people like us. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11 says, for while we were still helpless, while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Because for rare, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person perhaps some might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Much more then, because we have been declared righteous by his blood, by that sacrifice, we will be saved through him from God's wrath. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, how much more since we have been reconciled will we be saved by his life? Not only this, but we will also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. And I say amen to that. I say that that is what our purpose is here today, to rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we have received this reconciliation, this healing, this reversal of fortunes, that Jesus, while we were enemies of him, while we were slaves of sin, while we were ungodly, while we were evil, while we were weak, Christ came to die for us. So that our incurable wound can be cured by God. So that even though we were evil, and God can have nothing to do with evil. We can be forgiven and reconciled to him forever. The Jewish leaders didn't get it. Miracle after miracle, healing after healing, teaching after teaching. Jesus begged all to realize that they were infected. That they were sick. And that he could heal them. And the miracle with Malchus is no different. It was yet another plea to the very crowd of his enemies to stop the chaos, to come out of the darkness, and to understand the healing power of Jesus. His power 
to forgive sins. That Jesus would forgive and heal them if they would let him. That even though they put him on a cross, a day later he would have the love and mercy to say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That is the great physician that we honor this Sunday. That is the love and the sacrifice that we remember every Lord's day. The one who has the power to heal us spiritually. The one who has the power to cure our incurable wound and chose to do it. Even though we rejected him. Even though we became slaves of sin. Even though we contributed to his death. He chose to heal us like he chose to heal Malchus. That is the Messiah that we remember today. In a minute, we're going to partake of this Lord's Supper. We're going to set aside the time to do as we're commanded to do, to remember Christ, to remember his sacrifice and death and resurrection, and to remember that he has the power to heal, to remember his mercy And his love. And I would urge you to remember this scene in the garden. To put yourself in the crowd who Jesus himself said they had heard what he taught. Many of them knew what Jesus was about, but they chose to arrest Jesus and to put him in the hands of men who they knew wanted to destroy him. And think of Malchus, slave to the bad guys. He's on the wrong side, a man who was there to send Jesus to his death. But without knowing it, he was slated to die, given an incurable wound. And yet, Jesus silenced the chaos and healed him. Jesus remade him as he was originally created. And think of the awe in that scene, the love that Jesus showed, that last reminder that he would give in miracle form, at least, that he had all the power, all the authority to heal physically, but much more the power and the authority to forgive, the power to heal everlastingly. And then he peacefully gave himself up to drink the cup that he did not want to drink, but chose to do it for us in his mercy and grace and love. I'm going to read one last passage that I believe sums up a lot of what we talked about today, and then we're going to observe our Lord's Supper. If you want to read it with me, it's Romans chapter 6, verses 17 through 23. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves to righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members of slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now you present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification." 
For while you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things which you, of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and at its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise the Lord, for he healed us in his mercy and love. Like I said earlier, we don't know what happened to Malchus. We don't ever read about the acts of Malchus later. There's not even a lot of tradition that developed around him like there are some of the other more minor characters in the New Testament, or at least none that I could find. We don't have a conversion story recorded where he truly grasps the weight of what Jesus' healing sign meant. We have no idea whether Malchus became a Christian or whether he stayed in his ways. His story is just a footnote in the broader narrative of the final actions of Christ. Do you ever wonder how often he thought about it? How puzzled and just in awe he must have been about that moment when he remembered it. How often he felt his ear and he said, man, did that really happen? We don't know. And maybe that gives us an opportunity. An opportunity to put ourselves in his shoes. As former slaves to sin who have been forgiven and healed by Christ. And those fortunate enough to be given the opportunity to remember what Jesus has done for us every Sunday and and every day as we live our new lives as Christians. We have the same opportunity that Malchus had. To remember in awe and gratitude what Jesus has done for us. To thank our Lord as we just sang about. To live in gratitude for what Jesus has done for us. Because Jesus does not wish that we would suffer and die. And so he chose to suffer and die on our behalf. And he has given us the opportunity to be forgiven and healed. You know, how ridiculous would it be if Malchus in that moment looked at the ear that Jesus was giving him back and said, No, I think I'm fine. I think I can figure it out on my own. I really don't have any use for that extra ear. No one would do that. But how much more foolish would it to be to scoff at our chance to be totally healed of our incurable wounds and recreated in the image of our loving Messiah? If you're not a Christian, you are scoffing at that sacrifice. You're looking at Jesus while wounded with an incurable infection, and you're saying, you know what? I'm fine. 
I've got this. Don't be so foolish. See your condition. Humble yourself before God and accept the sacrifice of Jesus and be healed today. To repent of your sins, to confess your faith in Jesus as the only one who can heal your wounds. And to be baptized into his death and into his sacrifice. Because Jesus wants to heal you. But if you are a Christian and you've strayed from the path, if you've turned aside from following Jesus to become a slave of sin once again, you have turned back from being made whole, from given the free gift of life, to choosing the life of gross sickness and a way that leads to death. You also scoff at Jesus' sacrifice, at Jesus' offering to you, and not out of ignorance, but willingly. You've chosen to turn back to the very thing that brought death to you and to ignore the Savior who sacrificed everything for you. So I ask that you rededicate yourself as a slave of God and a slave to his righteousness right now. To join back with his gift of life and light. And if you need the prayers and the encouragement of the family here, we would be more than happy to do that with you. Because Jesus wants to heal you too. So brothers and sisters, come to the great loving physician now. The only one that can heal you as we stand and sing.